0: Welcome to the Heart Shaped Ministries podcast, where we discuss the big areas of life that God wants to transform in each one of us. Welcome to Identity and the Fear of Failure. This is part three of a series I've been doing on the fear of failure. What is your identity and how does it help you in the fear of failure? So the very first episode, we looked at patterns, ways that you can identify if you are struggling with the fear of failure. We looked at three particular ones. One was power plays that we do, that is to control other people. And then perfectionism is a pattern in which we try to control ourselves. And then trusting in certainty, kind of living a life that's risk-free, full of certainty, that can become an idol and can become a pattern for us, especially when we're trying to control all of our lives. So control is the key word when it comes to the fear of failure. If you are struggling with controlling things, either others, yourself, or your circumstances, you probably struggle with the fear of failure. And then we looked in the second episode at some of the roots So if that's the fruits of the fear of failure, what are the roots? Well, shame is one of the biggest roots. Sin that we do or sin that's committed against us that causes shame can often manifest itself into fear that causes us to look for ways of controlling our lives because we're afraid that we are failures because of that environment that we've experienced or that situation that we've experienced. Now we're gonna look at some of the answers. So here's the episode where I'm going to give you some answers. I'm going to give you some real, a real conviction that you're going to need. So stay tuned. This is a short episode, but you want to listen to all of it because this is where you're going to start to find freedom. And then the very last episode, we're going to look at ways that you can walk in that freedom. Okay. Let's look at identity and the fear of failure. Auto. Let me tell you a story. Auto is my auto mechanic. That's right. His name is Auto in his auto auto's auto repair shop I mean you can't get cooler than that can you this guy he he ought to know what he's talking about right so he he does and he knows especially he knows used cars so I had this car and I took it to him I just recently had bought it and he was gonna look at it and repair something on it when he opened the hood he looked inside he immediately could tell this had been in an accident he said drew this this is this used car has been in an accident before. And I said, wait, how can you tell? I said, the previous owner did not tell me that it's been in an accident. then he started pointing, he said, see, these you can see are parts that have been replaced. And then he looked and he said, in fact, this whole engine has been redone. In fact, the whole front section has been, this is new. And it just got worse and worse. And I, I panicked and I said, Auto, what what do I do? What do I do about this? He said, there's nothing you can do. He said, let me explain it. And then he picked up a metal rod, like this one. So this metal rod, just like this, he picked it up and he said, you see this thing? He said, if I were to crumple this up, bend it all up into pieces, and then I tried to straighten it again, it would never be the same again. He said it would lose its integrity, because right now it's firm, it's just how it's meant to be made. But if I bend it and then try to repair it, it can never be the same again. He said, that's like your car. He said, unfortunately, it's not ever going to be the same again. Well, from that moment on, I couldn't trust my car. I started thinking this thing is going to fall apart any moment. This is not going to work. It's going to break. And I lived in this kind of fear of it failing. Now, many people think of failure in the same way. They live their lives because their life has been crumpled up, has been in an accident, has been messed up from different things that we've done or things that have been done to us. We live with this sense of fear of failure that it's all going to go wrong again and I need to now control my life in whatever way I can instead of turning to God because God has a different opinion. Otto had expressed what many people think of when they Think of their lives, and particularly the fear of failure. The damage is done, and it'll never be the same again. But there's a verse in Ephesians 2 that's going to be really key for us in this series, in, in this moment right now. It's Ephesians 2, 4-6, and it says this, But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is a really, really key point here. Understanding who you are in Christ is the answer to the lie that you are a failure. To this fear of failure. It's understanding who you are in Christ. Otto was right. He was right, once a car has been in a wreck, it can never be the same again. But when we're talking about your life, there's a difference, because God is not trying to make you the same again. He's not into making the same again. He makes all things new. He doesn't want to fix your car or fix your life. He actually wants to give you his. So that's a big difference. Not trying to fix your car, fix your life, He's trying to give you his. If we look at this verse, he took you and seated you in heavenly places in him. When we accept Christ, we often think of it like we invite Christ into our lives. In fact, many people kind of think, you know, I invite Jesus into my heart and we invite him into our world. Let's keep with the car analogy. We kind of imagine that we're driving along our lives in, in our car and then we decide, you know, it's missing something. I am I know where I'm going. I know where I'm headed, but it doesn't feel right. And then somebody tells us about Jesus, or we go to an alpha course, and we think that we kind of come across Jesus. So imagine you're driving your car, and Jesus is walking on the road, and you see him, and you think, okay, you know what, I need this guy in my life. So you pull your car over, and you open your car door, and you say, hey, Jesus, where are you going? And we imagine that Jesus looks at us and says you know I'm going where you're going I'm headed your way so we then say Jesus come into my car come into my life and now ride with me and help me keep me company tell me some things that I need to know along the way show me point out anything that I might be doing wrong and we imagine that this is the Christian life however it's not quite that is it but there's another picture that we're told and it's not the full picture But it's at least a little bit better. It's somewhere along the line we hear a sermon that you shouldn't be, you know, Jesus shouldn't just be in the passenger seat. He should take the wheel. Have you ever heard that before? Let him take the wheel. And so we get this idea that, okay, if we move into the passenger seat and he takes the wheel of our car, now we are doing the right thing. And now we're kind of super Christians, you know, and things are going to get better. But there's there's something wrong with that picture as well because in that image we're still in our car and Jesus is now just driving our car but it's still our rules it's still our life it's still what we think it should look like where it should go how it should be and he's just driving and making sure that we get to the destination and use the car in the way that we need him to use the car. But the Christian life is actually different to both of those scenarios. See, here's, this, here's the real story. The real truth is that your car, your life has been wrecked on the side of the road. That's what the Bible tells us. It says we were dead in our trespasses, we had already wrecked our car. It's broken on the side of the road, it's wrecked with sin, it is smashed from shattered promises. It's rusted from a downpour of shame. We have wrecked our car. We've driven it into a deadly ditch with our bad choices and with our idolatry. And we we were oblivious to God. So it's not like we were driving along and we saw Jesus and we invited him in. We actually had wrecked our car, oblivious to God. We're the ones rock, walking on a desert highway, on this lone desert highway, clueless not really knowing where we're going, thinking we have a plan, Jesus by His mercy drives His car up, kicks the door open, and He says, "Hey, you, come here," and He says, "I can see you're going nowhere. I can see you're lost. I can see you're in trouble. I I want to bring you into My car." When he, we are brought into His world, there's a couple things that happen. One is that we now start to go his way, his direction. He's in charge, has been always, and we are going where he is going. We are following him. He's not following us, we're following him. It's now everything is about him. And every question we have is, where are you going, what can I do to serve you, to be with you, to walk with you, to love you, to be in your world? And then we also realize that the car is coming from someplace. So we actually have a whole, we, we walk into a whole legacy of people and of things and situations that Jesus has been about ever since. So we have a history now, we have a future, and we also realize that we are in this car with a whole bunch of other people, and it's not about us. The other thing when it comes to identity is that his car now is shame-free. His car is is rust-proof. It is, it's, um, been a failure proof, maybe put it that way. It's full of righteousness. That's the beauty about his car. It's not our car any longer. Now we are at position and we are in him. Your car is wrecked, that's true. But you are no longer driving your car anymore. You're no longer riding in your car anymore. You are riding in his. That is the fundamental understanding and shift that you need to have, in order for you to completely be free, especially when it comes to failure. Now, whenever I think about Jesus's car, I don't know why, but I always imagine a like a VW Volkswagen. Maybe it's because my wife Megan is, she, she's a little bit of a hippie herself. She loves that car. It was her favorite car. Every time she sees it, she says, there's my car. So, and she's very much like Jesus. So maybe I think of it that way. So I imagine this yellow van, right? And there's this Jesus's car. Now, if Jesus' car were full of bumper stickers, I imagine it would say something like, I don't condemn my kids. I come mend them. I know, a little bit cheesy, I know. I I, I made that up, but I think it's true, though. Jesus, he doesn't condemn us. There is no shame. He does away with shame, and he comes and mends us, but not mends us in the way that Otto was talking about straightening us out again but mends us in terms of giving us a completely new identity in christ another bumper sticker might say my love puts shame to shame so we now look at shame and we say that's wrong it's wrong to feel that it's wrong to think it. it's wrong to live in it that is not my story because i am in christ and jesus is full of love and acceptance, no shame, full of purpose, full of destiny, and is not a failure. So now I'm in Christ, I cannot be a failure, I'm with him. But the devil says to us and reminds us, no, you are a failure, you have failed, you fail all the time. And it's true. And this is the comeback that we need to, for the devil. We need to say, well, yes, whenever I was in my own car, yeah, I, I was a failure, Messed it up big time. But I'm not in my own car anymore. I'm in Christ. I'm with Jesus. I'm with Him now. Christ is not a failure. That's our comeback. That's the truth. That's our anchor. So, no, I'm no longer a failure. But Drew Land makes mistakes still. You make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So, how are we to reconcile? That we are no longer failures, that we are in Christ, yet we still make mistakes. We still fail sometimes. How do we work that out? How do we, you know, we, we're in Jesus' car, yet we still wrestle with lies. We wrestle with fear. We wrestle with idolatry and patterns that come out of that and ungodly thoughts. So how do we reconcile that? Well, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So if the old is gone, why do we still do some of the things that we did when the old was still around? Mm -hmm. It brings this question up, am I a sinner or am I a saint? Have you ever heard that before? Am I a sinner or am I a saint? That is an age-old question that Christians have been discussing and arguing about for ages. Am I someone who, am I a sinner who occasionally does good in Christ or in God? Or am I a good person now, a saint now, who occasionally sins? What's the image that I should view myself and what should determine my identity, sinner or saint? Now, there's a problem with that. There's an inerrant problem with the premise of that because it still rides on what we do. It presupposes that our identity is just based on something that we do. Either we do bad things or we do good things. But that's confusing because we did good things before we were saved, before we got into Jesus's life. um, And we did bad things before and we do good things afterwards and bad things afterwards. So that is actually quite confusing. Jesus didn't start there. Jesus never used those labels sinner or saint. Well, obviously he would never use the label sinner because he, you know, he just didn't sin. And the Bible tells us he was sinless, so he he would never use it anyway. But neither did he use the label of saint either. In fact, in Mark 10, 17, someone comes and says to him, good teacher, and Jesus replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I mean, he had an opportunity right there to say, no, you're right. You know, I am a saint. I am the good one. I am the perfect one. But he still didn't take that label upon himself. I think there's something to learn in that. Then you look at the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.17, he calls himself the chief of sinners. However, in Ephesians 3.8, he says that he's a saint. So is he a chief of sinners or is he a saint? He uses both terms. So Jesus uses neither term. Paul uses both terms. So what are we to make of this? Well, when they were speaking about their identity, they didn't go down that route. Actually, Jesus and Paul didn't speak of sinner or saint. They identified themselves as sons. Sons. Paul wrote, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, he uses the term sons here instead of sons and daughters because... referring to when you are adopted you get all the rights of a firstborn son back in the first century Rome the the firstborn son got all the rights not the daughters and but got all the inheritance from the parents so the reason he uses that son is because he wants that that label of son because he wants you to know whether you are male or female when God brings you into his world into his life into his car into his home into his family You become heirs like a first century Roman son. You, it all belongs to you now. All of it is his, I'm sorry, all of it is his and all of it is yours now. That's why he uses the word son. So ladies, it's good for you to be a son in that regard. That's what those verses are talking about. And obviously you're a daughter of God, but you have the full inheritance of a son from first century Rome would have. Those that were adopted into God's family have that truth about them. The starting point of the battle of good versus evil is never just sinner saint. It comes back to my position in Christ as a son, as his daughter, as his child, as his. I belong to him. I cannot be, that is who I am. And that's where we start to find freedom. So this is a crucial understanding in your identity and the fear of failure. Once you start to get your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone, and he cannot be a failure, it starts, It's that's half the battle is understanding that. Now I'm going to show you next week, I'm going to show you in the next episode, um, this week, later this week actually, I'm going to show you how you can walk in that freedom how you walk it out, how you keep that truth ever before you. But this is where it begins, understanding that identity and being able to say when the devil raises the question of, but you keep failing to say, but I'm in Christ. And so my sonship is what identifies me. It is my identity. It's who I am. He is not a failure. That is a huge difference in the mind shift that will set your heart free from, from giving in to the patterns of the fear of failure. Well, I hope that understanding goes a long way for you to helping you see freedom. I'm gonna give you some practical ways in which you can remain in that freedom. and I can't wait for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Lord, I pray right now for anybody who's watching this, I pray, Jesus, that you would come and just, just confirm this understanding that they're not driving their car, they're not even in the passenger seat of their car, Their car has been completely made new in you. The perfect person, the perfect car. And Lord, that identity means that they will always be victorious because they are with you and in you. And all shame has been dealt with. All failure has been dealt with. Lord, help them know that they no longer have to try and control their lives. They simply need to start walking with you, living with you, and letting you lead every step of the way. In the name of Jesus, amen.